today on Broadway for Friday, February 29th. Oh, no way. It's March 1st. We're already in March. How the hell did that happen? In like a lion, out like a lamb. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. You know what's great about uh, February 29th? Um, it's the, It only happens once every four years? It's an election year. Oh, that's true. Well, not always. Did you know leap year is not just every fourth year? It, leap year is every fourth year, and, I, and I'm going to get this wrong because off the top of my head, but I believe it's every fourth year and any year that is not a fourth year that is also divisible by the number 200. Somebody check me on that. That's off the top of my head. I, I think, think you're that's wrong. correct. I, but wouldn't every year by two that's divisible by 200 be a fourth year? Uh, some, there's something yeah. else in there. There's something else in there. Someone correct me. But I do know that Easter is always on the first Sunday following the first full moon after March 20th. It's my good Catholic school upbringing for you there. But anyway, Rain Man has three hundred sixty-five days, and a leap year is three sixty-six. Or an extra into intercalary day designated as February twenty-ninth. The leap year occurs every four years to help synchronize the calendar year with solar year, or the length of time it takes the Earth to complete the orbit around the sun, which is about three hundred sixty-five and a quarter days. So, doesn't say anything about Uh, some sort of other variable. I think there is someone who's much smarter than me um, will know, but I probably got it wrong. But anyway, something I do not have wrong, James, is that this coming Saturday, we have two new episodes that will show up in your podcast feed. First up, something we've talked about before, Jan Simpson's latest episode of Stagecraft with the playwright behind the New York Theater Workshop's Hurricane Diane, which just recently extended Madeline George. They're going to talk about that mythology-based show as... A mythology-based show is coming to Broadway in Hadestown, so that should be an interesting conversation. And then, oh man, James, in the afternoon, evening time, I have a new episode of Tell Me More with literally one of my favorite people in all of entertainment. He is a star of stage and screen internationally in Mexico and in the U.S. He is currently playing... In my opinion, and I believe that of my Some Like It Pop co-host Jennifer McHugh, the greatest character on television today, Rogelio de la Vega, on Jane the Virgin, Jaime Camille. He has appeared on Broadway in um, Chicago. He uh, did the Hollywood Bowl production of Mamma Mia. He was supposed to come to Broadway in the Mambo Kings musical and didn't. Then he made his Broadway debut in Latina Logs. And he also did uh, uh, Chicago in South Florida for the tour as well. Just an absolutely lovely human being. And I had the great pleasure of being able to talk to him minutes, literally less than an hour, about half an hour to 20 minutes after he got some fantastic news. So we talked about that in the episode. I was the first journalist to talk to him about it. Uh, So that's very exciting. So tune in tomorrow evening, afternoon, evening for a new episode of Tell Me More. I wasn't listening to anything you said because I found this out. The (laughs) year can be evenly divided by four. If the year can be evenly divided by 100, it is not a leap year unless the year is also evenly divisible by 400. Then it is a leap year. So but there's, so I knew it there was There is something, yeah. something there, uh, d- definitely um, something to keep in the back of your mind when you are playing HQ Trivia and uh, winning for the non-musical theater segments. <laughs> Thank you. I, I did. I won HQ earlier this week in the Marvel Cinematic Universe-themed uh, questions. James, you want to know how much I won on that that game? $1.64, was it? or oh, No, it was uh, somewhere between six and seven cents. <gasps> oh. They were very, very easy questions. 
I tell you, you know, um, uh, when is the Marvel people going to, uh, when are the Broadway people going to understand the Marvel oh, yeah. uh, universe is big and they can make a ton of money? Although the, the Spider-Man thing was pretty much a $100 million wipeout, wasn't it? Yeah, but I don't know that that has anything to do with the property. I think that had to do with the people not understanding the character. I could go into depth on that. But speaking of Spider-Man and Broadway, our friends uh, over from Broadwasted, uh, Brian and Kevin, their latest episode of The Popcorn Project um, it re- came out this past week, and it was for Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, so you should definitely listen to that one. But we should probably get on to the news, James. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about. Yeah, they should put Spider-Man in Mockingbird, right? <laughs> That would probably uh, invite a lawsuit from somebody. Well, maybe Reef Carney will go into Mockingbird eventually. We could have our dream come true there. But the Hadestown thing happens first. Okay, first up in the news, the New York Times investigates Mockingbird dispute. I don't want anything to take away from the New York Times resources of investigating Trump, though. Well, I don't think that these specific reporters are the ones that are going to be in, uh, uh, investigating Trump. So I think Michael we're okay Paulson, there. he could do it. He could take down he could, Trump. Oh, he definitely could. We've seen a lot of uh, theater writers, like journalists, uh, move into politics. Jesse McKinley. Uh, and uh, was it Patrick Healy and then Frank Rich, of course. Rich, yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of them. But anyway, yes, James, um, in what will be a theme throughout this episode, after we discussed this very topic yesterday, On this show, the New York Times' Michael Paulson and Alexandra Alter dove into the topic of regional productions of To Kill a Mockingbird being shuttered thanks to legal pressure from the Broadway version's producer, Scott Rudin. To go into a bit more detail of what we talked about yesterday, the issue has to do with productions of playwright Christopher Sergal's adaptation of the novel, which dramatic publishing company licenses. According to the Times, Harper Lee's estate has been sending letters to Dramatic Publishing for weeks, telling them that they were in violation of their contract with the author. The issue, according to the Times, is, quote, a 1969 contract between Lee and Dramatic that blocks Mockingbird Productions within 25 miles of cities that had a population of 150,000 people or more in 1960, the last census year before the agreement was signed, while a first-class dramatic play based on the novel, is playing in New York or on tour. The estate is also apparently upset that a number of the productions that Dramatic Publishing has licensed are featuring equity actors, even though the licensing house only has the rights to amateur productions. Apparently, Rudin had been letting the Lee estate handle the situation until a week or so ago, since nothing had been resolved, and had his lawyer send letters to the theaters planning on doing the show some months down the road and some weeks down the road. In an interesting twist that I did not know, James... Do you know who founded Dramatic Publishing in 1885? Uh, Alexander Hamilton. No, good guess. Um, Charles Sergal, the great uncle of the playwright in question. In fact, the playwright's grandson, Christopher III, now runs Dramatic Publishing. I feel like this is something that should have been bigger in these conversations because I feel like that adds an extra wrinkle into the discussion about this battle. But at least eight theater companies have already canceled their productions of the show with at least 25 more scheduled productions to take the stage this year. Many of the ones that have canceled feel that they have a legal argument to make, but just can't afford to do so against the financial behemoth that is Scott Rudin Productions. 
Interestingly, one theater in Marblehead, Massachusetts, is refusing to cancel, but instead of fighting in court, they are moving their production from Marblehead uh. to Gloucester, Mass., <laughs> 40 miles from Boston, therefore outside of Rudin's exclusivity parameters. Now, in the article, Rudin did give a statement saying that he hates to ask anyone or force anyone to cancel any theatrical production of anything, but they do have an obligation to enforce the rights that they are paying for. Now, James, what's so interesting about this story is that there are, in my opinion, three levels of blame here. At the top, with the most blame, again, in my opinion, is Dramatic Publishing, who should have known the restrictions on their contract ahead of time. And then if they didn't, when they were informed by the Lee estate, should have made it very clear and reached out immediately to their licensees. Next on the list would be Rudin, who apparently has the law and the contract on his side. So he gets some absolution there. But come on, how is a 170 seat community theater in Dayton going to impact his Broadway show or eventual eventual tour? And then at the bottom, with no actual fault, are the theaters having to cancel their shows and in some cases at great financial cost, as outlined in the article. And as is always the case in situations like these, James, the only people that will actually be harmed by this whole dust up of the, the worthless boycotts that we mentioned aside yesterday um, are the small theaters that operated in good faith throughout and did absolutely nothing wrong, but are the ones that have, are being pushed aside and, and forced to suffer because people who are going to make a crap ton of money, whether these shows go on or not um, decided that they had to flex their muscles and push the little people around. This is uh very interesting. Uh, I mean, we knew that Scott Rudin had to have more than just uh, being, you know, a very powerful person and saying, sure. you can't do this. So it makes sense. But wow, I, I mean, dramatic play service really dropped the ball. <laughs> and, and, and but it, but it interests me, James, like how much of this has to do with the fact that the guy who runs the company is the grandson of the guy who wrote the play. Like, I, 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 I don't think that's just a coincidence. I cannot imagine that this happened if somebody else had written the play. If it was a Tennessee Williams play that they had the, the rights to, I have to wonder whether or not that this fight would have happened or if it would have been resolved earlier. It just seems to me like it, it, there's something else going on beneath the surface uh, that we haven't yet heard about. Uh, maybe the person that's the the grandson is feeling like yeah i really don't have to pay attention to it because i'm related is that what you're getting at or well no i mean i think that they are going to stand up and 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 make it more of a fight because it's a family uh because of the family connection rather than not thinking they don't have to pay attention to it he's a business person he has to understand how these things work but i, I have a feeling that they're going to try to flex their muscles a little bit and, and maybe even take it to court um, maybe because it is a little bit more personal to them. I just think that that detail can't be insignificant. I, I, I just can't imagine it being um, not at least some factor in the calculus of what's led to this, this, this fight that we're dealing with right now. That is phenomenally interesting. So you, what do we think? Um, why did the... Uh, is the New York Times leading this charge or are they following what's happening? Or, you know, is this all happening? Why is it happening? Um, I, I mean, I think that, the, I, I, you know, 
the New York Times article came out on Thursday morning. This is after the stuff that we talked about yesterday. Um, there is a certain blog, a theater blog out there that is trying to mount a uh, a boycott of Scott Rudin shows, which is like everything that's going to win a Tony. So, I mean, good luck, like we said yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think like the, the Times is reporting and as they often are when it comes to theatrical media, I mean, I work for a, a theatrical publication. I, I can say this. There's not a ton of us that do investigative journalism. That's just not the type of, of entertainment community that we have. Um, the Times and other actual newspapers that have theater reporters, they're the ones that do this type of work. And I just think no one had bothered to do it to really get to the bottom of it yet. Um, it is still fairly new, even though we heard about the tour in the UK uh, a month or so ago. But uh, it, I think that the the Times article really comes down on the side of Rudin. If you're saying, is it mm. Rudin or dramatic? It comes down on Rudin's side, um, but it does it in a very logical way. I mean, it doesn't really take a side, but just the facts of the case seem at this point to put Rudin in the best light, not great light, considering he's costing some small theater companies tens of thousands of dollars reportedly. But I mean, if you're talking about a legal standard, it sounds like he's got the receipts, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. Always keep your cancel checks. Always keep them. Who has checks? I've, I haven't had a checkbook in years. <laughs> but if somebody writes you a check, make sure you keep the cancel check. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, next up, what do we have in uh, Broadway show and casting news? Okay. Again, I talked about the theme at the beginning of the show. As I have mentioned a couple of times over the last few weeks, the Sam Gold Glenda Jackson-led revival of King Lear has finally announced its full Broadway cast just hours before the first preview that happened last night, Thursday night. Uh, in addition to Glenda Jackson, Jane Howdyshell, Ruth Wilson, John Douglas Thompson, and others, yesterday it was announced, as I talked about before, that Michael Arden, John McGinty, and others had joined the cast. We are currently recording during the first preview, which is apparently um, it's clocking in at between three hours and 30 minutes and three hours and 45 minutes. So we'll see how they can get that down before opening. But Knowing the background of both of those actors, I have to assume that Gold has somehow incorporated some sort of ASL into the direction of the show. So we'll hear more about that after the reports from the first preview. Next up, after we talked about recently, James, again, on Thursday morning, Page Six dropped some info on the previously announced all-female revival of David Mamet's Glengarry Glen Ross. While they didn't confirm if the show would meet its initially announced May date on Broadway, it did say that the show is on track for a summer opening whenever that might be. Apparently, Mamet has given approval to the script as long as the character names are kept the same. According to page six, the cast isn't yet set, but Amy Morton is still attached to direct. And finally, in this section, last night, Baz Bombaboy reported in the Daily Mail, or actually he tweeted, and so in the morning it'll usually come out in the Daily Mail, um, that filming will finally begin on the long-rumored Sunset Boulevard musical movie starring Glenn Close this coming October. Tony-winning choreographer turned director Rob Ashford, not Rob Marshall, different people, um, Rob Ashford will make his big screen directing debut helming the project. Tom McRae, who wrote Everybody's Talking About Jamie will write the screenplay. So that is really interesting that uh, page six is able to pull this information out. Uh, how, how are we, uh, 
how do, how do we think PH6 is able to pull this out, but all of our investigative journalists over at the New York Times are not able to? Are you, are you saying that Cindy Williams is not an investigative journalist? Oh, I would never say that. This actually comes from comments made by uh, the producers, uh, oh, Jeffrey okay. Richards and Rebecca Gold. So uh, there are quotes um, from Richards and Gold throughout. So, so it must, Cindy Adams must have been at a party with them or something. I, I see. All right. So what do we have in the recommendation section? Okay. So this is probably going to matter only to like me um, and Alan Henry. <laughs> um, but on no. the episode... No? Okay. I don't know um, about that. I think a lot of people are talking about this. Okay. Well, um, I, depending on how much TV you watch, there is a beloved comedy that comes from Canada, CBC. It is called Shits Creek. That's S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S. Um, it's, it was created by Daniel Levy, the son of Eugene Levy. Both of them star in the show, as well as Catherine O'Hara. They are a rich family who is down on their luck, and they buy a town in Canada and um, they they live there and make their living there. Um, apparently, in this episode that aired last night in the U.S., the night before in uh, in Canada, this Wednesday night and Tuesday night, um, apparently Moira Rose, who was played by Catherine O'Hara, is going to do a um, production of Gypsy, I believe, and she's having trouble casting it. And at one point, she says that she is going to have to place an ad in broadwayworld.com and the way she inflects <laughs> on it is very interesting but i will just like to point out i am in charge of all advertising outside of new york so if moira rose wanted to place an ad on broadwayworld.com she'd have to come to me it would be me that she would be talking to mm. um but anyway <laughs> um we have a link to that very bizarre clip i don't watch the show but this is something that again to go back to something like it pop jennifer McHugh has been talking about on that show for a long time um so check that out and then sticking with tv real quick uh yesterday we got the first full two-minute trailer for fx's fossey verdant a ton more detail in there we get a lot of uh, kelly barrett as Liza Minnelli, uh, really, really great stuff. I cannot wait for that. And I know that uh, while there might have been some buzz for the Shit's Creek mention of Broadway World, uh, there was a lot of buzz for this Fosse Verdon trailer that came out yesterday. All right. What other news do we have today? Okay. After we talked about the show yesterday, James, on Thursday, LCT3 extended the critically acclaimed new play Mary's Seacole for a few extra weeks. The new play by Jackie Sibley's Drury will now run through April 7th. It was previously scheduled to close on the 24th of March. Next up, yesterday, Michael Paulson again reported that thanks to a $100 million gift, Harvard University will move its American repertory theater across the Charles River from Cambridge to Boston. The gift, uh, the $100 million gift from David and Stacey Gohl, uh, has been set aside to create a, quote, research and performance center. Harvard did not provide further details about a timeline or price tag for the project, but did say that ART will continue to present shows in Cambridge for several years. Now, James, we have talked before about some financial issues with ART, not necessarily the, the the theater, but with the master's program uh, that is run through Harvard out of ART and about how it's incredibly expensive. Um, so I don't know that these two things are related, but it does seem like a $100 million gift to create a new center must mean that they are trying to address some of the issues that have previously been attached to that theater and the graduate program that it houses. Now, sticking with non-New York theater news, yesterday it was announced that Chicago's legendary Steppenwolf Theater would include a new show in their 2019-2020 season by Pulitzer Prize finalist Rajiv Joseph called King James. 
Now, James, this is not about you or the guy whose name has been ascribed to a Bible, but instead it depicts a li- it depicts life in Joseph's native Cleveland following LeBron James leading his hometown Cleveland Cavaliers to the NBA championship in 2016. The show will premiere in May of 2020 and then will be a part of the Center Theater Group's 2020-2021 season in Los Angeles, where LeBron now plays for the Lakers. Talk about Venn diagrams. Wait one second. Is the end of Act 1 when LeBron goes on live on television to pick his uh, team? No. No, no, no. That was before he came. That was when he left Cleveland the first time. This is after he'd come back and already won the NBA championship. Apparently, it's going to be about two friends sitting around talking about life and how important that win was to Clevelanders. But I did not know Rajiv Joseph was a fellow Ohioan. So uh, I love that even more. (laughs) All right. Finally, uh, last night in the New York Post, Michael Riedel said that there are rumors, fairly, apparently very well-placed sources, that the Disney musical Aida by Elton John and Tim Rice will launch a national tour in 2021. Shell Williams, who performed in the original Broadway production, will direct and... If things go well on tour, it could make its way back to Broadway. Now, James, I saw the original version on Broadway pretty soon after Sherry Renee Scott left. And I saw Tell It To My Heart Heart pop star Taylor Dane as Amneris. But, James, didn't we talk about Aida and Mickey Dolenz recently? I feel like everything we talk about comes back. What is going on? We did talk about that. But I I have to tell you that I had a little bit of inside information about the Aida thing when I brought it up. (laughs) Oh, oh, I see. So all these things I share with you on air and off air and you had inside information and didn't tell me. That's fine. I'm not hurt. It's fine. I mean, we've almost been doing the show for three years and I feel like my trust has just been shattered. That's fine. I'm not upset at all. Well, it's only because I'm like Dory from Nemo and I I forget that I knew it. (laughs) Just keep (laughs) podcasting. Just keep podcasting. So you're done here with the script, but you haven't talked about like the the biggest show going on right now. Uh Uh-oh. What did I forget? This this thing playing off Broadway down in D.C. It's going to come to New York. Tell I mean, people and Michael Calamari. How could Jesus Christ? (laughs) Have you seen Have you seen the clip of Michael Calamari um, from like one of the finales of The Apprentice? He apparently made an appearance (laughs) as an advisor to Donald Trump on the finales of The Apprentice, and all he said was like. Uh, you know, I don't like Jennifer, but, uh, wow. Uh, oh, 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 okay. Wow. And this is the guy who's going to topple a presidency. I just, I just can't. I just, we cannot, if this were written in a script, you and I would be saying this is totally unbelievable. Of course, Harper Lee's grandson is not pulling the. <laughs> not not Harper Lee, Christopher Sargle. Uh, Chris, <laughs> I don't think Chris. I don't think Harper Lee had any children or grandchildren. But I mean, it it makes it makes Jerry Springer the opera look believable. It really does. All right, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Beta, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bwwmat. Don't forget to check out the feed with a show from Jan Simpson and me on Saturday. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us. As Matt said, uh, there's a bunch of things happening tomorrow in the feed on Saturday and on Sunday this week on Broadway with uh, Peter Felician, Michael Portantier. And then we'll be back on Monday to tell you what happened over the weekend. (laughs) 